potentially in the past I would not do something because I was worried that if I wasn't successful, people were going to laugh at me or just not want to be around me anymore. And so that's been my biggest fear just with everything in, in life and in business and relationships, just so worried about what other people think and how they're going to react. What is up, everyone? I'm Kyle. And I'm Isaac, and we are the hosts and founders of the Freedom to Fail podcast and Fail Nation, a community where failing while pursuing our dreams is a positive and taking uncertain chances is celebrated. This podcast is for those who have a dream of starting a business or doing something they've always dreamed of, but have been held back by their fears. Our purpose is to share the unsuccessful stories of successful people so that you can learn how to take the first steps towards achieving your dreams. You deserve to live a life full of freedom and free of fear. Let's do this. Hey, hey, hey. It's a beautiful day today. And today on the show, I am interviewing my co-host and good friend, Kyle Brinkhurst. Kyle, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on my own show with you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm super happy to have you, man. I'm glad you showed up this time. So just a little bit about Kyle. Kyle is the founder and owner of Majestic Services, a window cleaning company based in Vineyard, Utah. Uh, Majestic is the top-rated window cleaning company in the state of Utah, actually, and has won multiple awards for its quality. Kyle has grown his company to six figures annually while also finishing up his degree in economics and business this fall. Man, you're, you're a busy dude. And uh, other than that, though, I mean, Kyle uh, considers himself an avid reader. Uh, he's currently actually reading a book a week this entire year, and he's writing a blog post about each book after he reads it. And so Kyle, how's that going for you, man? How's the reading the book a week? How do you do that? It's going well. It's been amazing. A great journey that that I've been going on. I got the idea at the end of last year, I had some stuff going on and I needed to change the way that I viewed the world and the way that I viewed myself. And so I made the goal to do that. And it's been amazing. It's literally changed everything for me with how I view the world and and just how I go about pursuing my goals and my dreams. It's hard. It's challenging for sure. But carving out that time and delegating it as very high on my priority list has made it so that I can still have the time every day to read. And it only takes me about a half an hour a day. And with that, I'm able to get through about a a book every single week. Wow, man, that that is super dope. I don't know if I could do that. Honestly, it's so hard for me to sit down and read. What would you say is the biggest key to actually reading a book a week? Number one, I've got a a good friend of mine. I've gotten to know a little bit in the last few months. His name is Ian Went, and he does what he calls a power hour every day. So every day he takes about an hour to read and write and journal and do all those kind of things. I've taken that idea and just applied it to my life. So in that power hour, every morning I wake up and I read for half an hour and then I write for half an hour, whether it be on the blog or just uh, writing my goals or doing other things here on pen and paper as well. I spend an hour every single day just doing all of that stuff. And then on top of that, I keep my book with me at all times because there's so many times when you're just sitting in the drive-thru or other places where you have a few minutes to kill and just having a book with you to pull out and just knock out a few pages really helps in that goal. That's super cool what you're doing. And we look forward to you know reading more about uh, what you're doing there. If you want to uh, read more of Kyle's blog posts or see what he's up to, uh, you can find him at kylebrinkers.com, right? Is that where you're at? Yep, exactly. Cool, man. Well, 
you know, I introduced you and I, I talked you up, you know, made you sound really cool. You know, you got a six figure window cleaning business and, you know, you're in school. You, you've done a lot of cool things, won some awards. But honestly, Kyle, as you know, on this show, we don't care about any of that. So let's go ahead and let's talk about your failures because that's what we came for. That's what the people want to hear. That's what I want to hear personally. So Kyle, take us back a little bit. I mean, before before you, you know, had all the success uh, with cleaning windows, you know, what kind of other things did you do? What other little projects or businesses did you work on? You know, so ever since I was a little kid, I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. And I didn't know it consciously, but from the time I was three years old, I sold rocks on the corner. Like literally people would be riding bikes past my street. Kind of sketchy nowadays if you think about it, a three-year-old on the corner selling rocks. But how do you sell rocks? That's I'm intrigued. How do you sell rocks? <laughs> I just waved them down and, and sold it based on how smooth it was and how rare it was compared to all the other rocks that I found in my yard. And I did pretty well for myself. I think I made about 75 cents and was able to buy a few a few pieces of candy from the store. So that was my dive into entrepreneurship. Are these skipping rocks or what are these? They were rocks that you found under grass. Like okay. if you go in the dirt, I literally would just find rocks. And if they were smooth, I would sell them as skipping rocks. And if they were jagged, I would sell them as rocks that you could use to carve something or I don't know. It just depended on the type of rock. That's how I would sell it. <laughs> well, why, why didn't, so why didn't you stick with the rock business if it was going so well, man? Well, you know, as my smart three-year-old brain just told me, there wasn't much money to be made in the rock business. So I just decided to get out of that. And then I went into the typical childhood entrepreneurship venture, which was starting a lemonade stand. And I would make cookies and sell those on the street corners. And then that was doing pretty well. And so I wanted to scale it up a little bit. What I did was I actually started up a restaurant in my in my house as a nine-year-old. I think I was in, I was actually eight turning nine. So I started that in my parents' house with their help, of course. Nice. So with uh, with some of these, you know, things you've done, I, you know, I've known you personally. I, I know you've started a few things. Uh, I remember you, you know, you more recently, obviously. I mean, we know you're a young prodigy and everything, but you know, not all of us are young prodigies, Kyle. So more, you know, more recently, I know you uh, started a watch company um, as well as a cookie dough company. Could you, could you maybe tell us about that? Like how do, how those went or yeah? So want to hear some failure stories, man? What happened? For sure. So the I started the a comp, the watch company. It's called Majestics. Uh, not majestic. That's oh, everything's company. majestic now, huh? Well branded. So I started my watch company. It was called Venture Supply Co. I started that with my younger brother, and we had a really unique idea that we thought was just going to change the the way that watches were sold and the way that watches were built moving forward. And we were super excited about it. I had no experience in product development. I had no experience in manufacturing, in retail, in any sort of product sales because all I had sold were services. So we came up, we met with an engineer, we worked with him, got the design perfect, and we thought we were ready to go. And we actually launched on Kickstarter. And then we found out at the end, so we did a 30-day Kickstarter campaign. We had the goal of $10,000 to help us fund the first run of inventory. Yeah, And we reached that goal. But at the very end of the campaign, the manufacturers that we had sourced came back to us and said, oh, by the way, the price for the watches is actually going to be five to $7,000 more than what we quoted you originally. Oh my gosh. 
we had to cancel that campaign. Luckily, nobody had been charged yet. So we were able to just cancel it before anything happened like that. But that was a a nightmare. And it was it was a big blow because that was something I had always wanted to do. And it was one of those moments where like you because with Majestic, this was Majestic was going on at the same time as well. Just not on the same level, maybe it was were you just starting or? Oh, yeah, it was this is back in 2016. So Majestic was only in its second year. At the at that time, I was really excited for this watch company because it was one of those moments where I just had been not super satisfied with Majestic, had wanted something to do and wanted more of a purpose and a drive in life. And it was one of those moments, if you guys are religious at all, I I take my religion pretty seriously. And so one of those nights, I was just praying and asking for guidance and what I could do. And literally the next morning, the idea and the design for the watch came into my head. So I thought it was meant to be, I thought it was going to be gold from the start. And to have it all happen that way, it was hard. Honestly, it was kind of heartbreaking because I had put so much time, effort, spent thousands of dollars in development, in research and studying. And I was just so sure it was going to be successful. And then to have the manufacturers back out of it. And then from that time, I just couldn't ever find any manufacturers. And so I just had to put that on hold because at that time, that point of time, Majestic was starting to take off. So I decided to focus more on Majestic. Man, that's a that's a heartbreaker. I mean, take us back to the moment when uh, they told you that you know it was going to cost more and how did you feel? How, I mean, what was that feeling? You know, that you had come this far and were you optimistic at all? <laughs> I'll just be real. It was, it was crushing. So we launched in February and I believe it was February 28th that we reached our goal of passing $10,000. So we were super excited and we were on cloud nine, just higher than we had ever been before. I was 23. My little brother was 17, I think. And so we were just super excited. And then I can't remember what day exactly, but I think it was like March 2nd. So I think it was like two days after we reached the goal, we got an email from the manufacturers that had said that because I had reached out to say, Hey, we reached the goal. We're ready to go. Like, let's get started. And they emailed back and said, sorry, we made a mistake and it's actually going to be $5,000 more than what it's going to be. And at that time, we only had like one day left in the campaign. So there was not enough time to raise more money on Kickstarter because you have to set it for a predetermined date. And so it was just, it was crushing because we had spent not only those 30 days raising money, but then we had spent like from August of the year before in 2015 is when we really had the idea and got going. So we had about five months invested in this project. Wow. And then it all came crashing down with wow. that email. That's crazy. Can't even imagine. I mean, was it, what did you learn from that? What, what what did you get from that experience, Kyle? I don't think I really took the time to learn anything. I was too angry. I was too upset and heartbroken. And so I just, I kind of avoided it. That's been sort of my life calling card yeah. up to the past little while is anytime I have those, I've had those bad feelings, I would try and just push them down and bottle them up and just pretend to just fake a smile and pretend everything was going to be okay and that I would be good at whatever I did next. And so for the longest time, I didn't really learn any of those lessons because I just didn't allow myself the time to really feel the failure. And I think that's one thing I've learned in my life. 
for me especially, failure is something that we have to we have to embrace it because humans like psychologically and just even physiologically, you have to be able to accept whatever emotions you're feeling to be able to process them correctly and gain the most from them. And so I didn't do that for the longest time, but I regret it looking back because there was so much that I could have learned and I could have switched it and still saved it if I had just done that. Yeah. But by the time I looked back, it was too late and I was just already working on Majestic and growing that, which I have no regrets on because it's been great. Yeah. But man, not taking the time to really embrace the failure and just let it sink in, like let it suck for a day or two. That's something that I didn't allow myself to do. Like I didn't allow myself to feel that, which is crucial in the grieving process of anything yeah. and also being able to move forward and get past those. Dang, man, that's crazy. I, you know, I know a little bit of your pain when it comes to manufacturing. I've worked with multiple manufacturers on on three or four products, um, and I've had some not so great experiences as well. Nothing quite as crazy as yours, um, where they just back out on me or you know charge me a ton of money like that out of nowhere. But it's not easy, man. Sure, there's a ton of people out here, you know, out there listening, you know, probably have a similar experience with manufacturing, especially if you're, you know, doing stuff with China or things like that. It can be crazy out there. But let's talk a little bit more about these failures, Kyle. I know that, you know, this is probably that was probably one of your bigger business failures. But I mean, in general, what what would you consider to be your biggest failure period in your life? Wow. I was prepared for this because I knew we were going to talk about all of it, but it's still very I don't even know the right words to describe it, but my biggest failure up to this point in my life is just going through my divorce. It was hard. That's what started this whole journey of trying to change who I was, trying to get better and just rediscover who I was as a person and as an individual, because going through something like that is just so hard and so heartbreaking and difficult to even comprehend. And the crazy thing about it was my ex and I, we were very amicable. There were no lawyers involved or anything. So it went as smooth as it could have gone. And it still sucked so bad. Yeah, not ever easy. It was so hard and, and difficult. So why was it so hard and difficult? I think just looking back at our relationship and just seeing all of the things that I mean, 2020 hindsight, obviously, but just looking back and seeing all of the things that I could have done differently and that I could have done better in our relationship to really work on being a better husband, being a better partner, friend, confidant with all of that. And so that that's the hardest for me acknowledging and accepting that is is really hard. For a while after we got separated, I just I denied it and I I tried to blame her for a lot of things and just say no, it's on her. Like there were all these things and situations that like she had a lot to do with and that it was her fault and everything, but I realized one of the men that I ex- I respect the most in life, he taught me and you because uh, we both knew him, but he would always say accept all the responsibility. And that's one thing that really has hit home for me in the past few months is just looking back and realizing that there were things that I could have done differently in the past, but I can't change the past. But I have to accept the responsibility for where I am now and where I go moving forward. Yeah, dude, that's so tough. And I can't say, you know, I've experienced that, but I feel for you, bro. And, uh, you know, I really appreciate you sharing that with us. Why, Why would you consider that to be your biggest failure? I think just knowing how much more I could have given in the relationship or how much more I could have done, what things I could have changed in it. 
knowing how much better I am as a person and not living up to those expectations that I had for myself. I think that's what makes it the biggest failure for me is just not living up to my own expectations of what I know I could have done. Mm, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's great to have high expectations for ourselves, right? To have goals that are, make us stretch and accomplish more than we ever thought we could imagine, you know, we could accomplish. But I mean, at the same time, we have to be realistic and we have to be kind to ourselves, man. I mean, that that's the biggest part of failure, I think, is when we set those lofty goals and those high expectations. Sometimes we don't reach them. Sometimes, you know, we we fell we we fall just short. But you know, when we have the perspective, when we look at everything that's happened we realize that we've learned so much and we've come so far. And while we didn't live up to our own expectations, we really reached an expectation or a level that is actually quite commendable or, or quite amazing, really. So, man, that's that's deep right there. Thanks for sharing that, Kyle. Yeah, for sure. So are there any other business failures, specifically your entrepreneur? Entrepreneurial, that's a big word. I still learn how to say it. Are there any other failures, you know, regarding you as an entrepreneur that you know you could share with us any good stories there? I guess so with Majestic, so we have a door-to-door team that goes out and sells our services during the summer. It's very unique because there really aren't any other window cleaning companies that do that. And so that's one thing that sets us apart. And so in 2015, when I started it, I was the one who did the door-to-door side. In 2016 as well, I did a little bit of door-to-door side and a lot of the cleaning too, because those first two years was mainly just me, my brother, my cousin. Your grandma. (laughs) The whole fam was out there waxing on, waxing off. Yeah, exactly. We looked up to the Karate Kid. So in 2017, I had the idea just to really see if it would work as a door-to-door concept as a business, not just for myself going out to do it. So I got my cousin to come on board and he did it for that summer. It was just him and then me, my brother and my cousin, we were the ones who would go out and do all the cleanings and all the services. And he did extremely well. He did very, very well in his time. He had no experience previously. And so it just made me really excited. So then last year, we wanted to to really build out our first full team of door-to-door salesmen. And I didn't realize how 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 high of a turnover rate there was in door to door. And so Yeah, ain't nobody wanna knock those doors, man. <laughs> Ask Vivint. It's hard. It is it's a brutal job. Definitely worth it and super satisfying, but man, there is very high turnover. So last year we wanted to have a team of ten salesmen that sold during the summer. Yeah. So we hired ten salesmen. Perfect, <laughs> and they were all gonna just be perfect because we were like, Oh, it's only four months. That's not very much time. They'll be fine and do it. And a lot of them, about half of them had previous sales experience. And so we were like, okay, they know what they're doing. They know what they're getting into. And then the week before our summer was supposed to start, we had already hired about 20 window cleaners to be able to fulfill all of these services. And the week before our summer was going to start, we had, I think six of those salesmen decide they didn't want to do it. This is before they even got out on the doors. They just got cold feet and backed out and quit. Man, is that your fault? (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) A lot of it was honestly, just because we weren't we weren't prepared. We didn't know how high the turnover was going to be. And we didn't realize what went into the recruiting process. And so we should have recruited 15 to 20, which is what we're doing this year so that we can end the summer with 10. True. But those first few weeks last year were super hard because we only had about two to three salesmen during the first couple of weeks, but we had 20 window cleaners who were expecting work. And so it was a nightmare trying to manage and just scramble to find jobs to keep everyone at least partially satisfied until yeah. we could recruit more salesmen to come on board as well. Dang, man, that's crazy. Why, like, 
like, why didn't you guys give up after last year after it went so bad? Why'd you keep going with it? <laughs> oh man, it would have been easy to give up for sure. Cause it was kind of a nightmare. <laughs> that summer was insane, but we realized that the first, just like anything that you do, the first part is going to be the hardest part. The first few days that you start something, the first few months, like first year, two years is going to always be super hard and have a high learning curve. So we realized that we had gone through all of that. We gained all of that knowledge and all of that experience from the summer. And it would just be a waste to not take advantage of it this year. Yeah. We had all of that built up and now we just, we know what we need to do to be able to execute at a higher level this year. That's great, man. I love that, you know, you learned from that failure and it didn't get you down and got you motivated and, you know, kept you going. You know, for many of us and for many of those listening out there, the hardest part is the first step, you know, that first door, uh, making that first call, that first sell, right? What was your first sell? I'm just curious. Did you personally go up and just knock on a door and wash the window right there? How'd that go? When I originally started Majestic? Yeah. What was the first? the very first sell like so spring of 20 so i started it unofficially the spring of 2015 and i just did it with family and friends and my goal was my plan was to go out and sell pest control during the summer and then just come back and do that keep doing that on the side but while i was gone during the summer i kept getting texts and like calls from other people who had been referred to by the other people i had cleaned in the spring and so i came back started majestic and the first little bit i thought i had it made because i had all those referrals lined up. And so I had about 20 houses to do and I was just super excited. Like, did you even have a website at the time or I mean, like, how'd you get these referrals? People would just call my number. They just knew that you washed windows or what? Yeah. They just heard from their neighbors or friends. Did you just just, like wash a neighbor's, like you just like washed like a friend's window and then they told their friends or what? Yeah, pretty much. Like I had no referral system. I had nothing like that in place. Like who was your first like window? Was it like your mom's house? Was it? Yeah. So I, I started, I remember I did my mom's house and then we did one of my best friend's grandma's house who lived right next door to me. Uh-huh. And we did my aunt's house. And then the one that I, I specifically remember was right before I left, we did the house of one of our good family friends. So I did her house two weeks before I left. Yeah, I remember getting called back. She called us the next day or so and was like, hey, my sister wants her windows cleaned. So I was like, okay, cool. Line her up. Yeah. So I was super excited about that. I go to do the her sister's house. Her sister had all these windows and all these types of things that I had never seen before. I had no experience with. And so I couldn't clean those windows. You just didn't clean them. I did the ones that I could. And then this was like literally the day before I was supposed to leave to go to California. So I did the ones that I could reach, the ones that I knew how to do. But they had a bunch of like super small windows that I wasn't sure how to do. And it was not good. Like it was the one time that I have not been satisfied with my job quality. Because of that, I was just like, look, I know these windows suck really bad. So you don't have to pay anything. Just enjoy the ones that you can see out of. That was a a good start to my door to door experience because I was I was leaving on a bad note. And so I was discouraged from window cleaning at that time. And I came back afterwards. You had all these referrals now. Everyone saw how you know great of a job you were at the little windows you couldn't get and they, they wanted some action too. Yeah. So I was I was worried because I had those self-doubts because of that house that I had done that was bad. And so I was like, well, am I really good at window cleaning? Like, do I provide a good service or am I just telling myself I'm better than I am? And so I had a lot of self-doubt in that case. So it took me a little while to decide to go for it because I was just really worried that I wasn't actually providing a good service. 
Yeah. That the only reason people wanted me to come was because they were family or friends. Ooh, that's crazy, dude. I mean, it's a good story of how, I mean, you really don't have to be all fancy or, or know everything or, or have a ton of money to just start. You know, you just start with your parents' house. You go on to your neighbors, your friend, you know, whatever it is, you just start there. I really like Grant Cardone. He's a really big salesperson and just, I, I really like a lot of the stuff that he teaches. And he talks a lot about the idea of a power base. And he says, so many people are worried to sell to their family or to their friends because they don't want to offend them or they don't want to be judged. That's so stupid because those are the people that are willing to take the risks on you when you get started because they are invested in you personally for the most part. And so he says, just take advantage of your power base, use those to grow and build. And then then from there, you gain the skills and the credibility to be able to go and do cold calls, to go do doors, all of that stuff. But too many people start by focusing on people they don't know because they're ashamed of their idea, because they're worried about how their family is going to respond, maybe tell them it's a dumb idea and not support them. Their friends are going to leave them or laugh at them when it fails. And they just want to avoid all of that stuff instead of taking advantage of what's in front of them. Yeah. And like none of that stuff usually ever happens either. It's not like when you start, you know, your crazy idea or whatever that, you know, your family abandons you and no one wants to talk to you. I mean, maybe if you're in an MLM, you know, and you're trying to you know, sell your whole family, like maybe that's the case. But gosh, if you're just washing windows, like you're providing a great service. There's nothing so bad about that, man. Definitely. And that's what people need to understand. Like whatever they do, provide the service. If it doesn't provide any service or value, then you shouldn't be doing it, obviously. But yeah, don't be ashamed in what you're doing because it has value for one reason or another. So just follow that and just take it from start to finish with your family. And that'll give you, like I said, a lot more credibility when you start talking and trying to sell it to other people. So, you know, when, uh, you know, you, you didn't do a great job in the window that you talked about, you know, one of your first windows, but you kept going with the window washing business. What, like, what, what was it that, that pushed you forward that helped you, you know, overcome the uncertainty of possibly failing again or potential disaster, I guess, with your window washing business? I think for me, the biggest thing that helps me and that helped me in that case was just focusing on the things that I can control. Yeah. Because in my life, I spend so much time thinking about things that are completely outside of my control that have nothing to do with me. And that was the case of like, not with this house per se, because I was the one who did the window cleaning service, mm -hmm. but you can't guarantee that someone is going to be satisfied with your work no matter what you do. Wow. Well, yeah, you're right. So basing your results on what other people think of your work is just super, it's super harmful for yourself. So what I learned from my time going out and selling doors, selling door to door was just... You're selling doors. You're selling doors now too? I mean, come on, man. I'm selling doors, going door to door, selling doors. Okay. We get what you're saying though. Yeah. So one of the biggest things that I learned in that time was just to focus not on how many sales I got, but how many doors I knocked or how many hours I worked. Just things like that, that I control. There's no one saying I can't knock another door. There might be someone saying, I'm not going to sell that guy because it doesn't matter how good of a salesman you are. You aren't going to close 100% of the people you talk to. But focusing on the things that I can control, it allowed me to have kind of a sigh of relief and just take a step back and be like, okay, I really am the one who's in charge of this. Like I'm the one who can make this successful or not. It depends on me. It doesn't depend on all these outside sources. And so I just came back and I was like, look, when I start, I'm going to go and knock 20 hours a week while I was in school. I'm 
going to go knock 50 houses. I don't remember exactly what numbers it was, but I set those kind of goals for me. And they were things that were that I controlled, not necessarily like result-based goals, but effort-based goals. Man, that's great. I love that. Are there any effort-based goals that you're currently working on? Yeah. So one thing that I do now with Majestic, one of the ways that we're focusing on growth this year is working through influencers. So it's a strategy that not very many people in the service industry use or utilize. And so I'm trying to create the system that we can use to replicate it. So what I do every single day, I have an effort-based goal of reaching out to five influencers. Okay. Not necessarily to get five on board, but just sending those messages, just doing that. Because unless you send those messages, you're never going to get any success at all. Exactly. Too many times we just focus on, we don't send any messages or we don't knock those doors or we don't those phone calls because we say, oh, they're going to reject us anyway. What's the point? So that's one of the things. It's pretty small right now, but that's one of the main ways that we're trying to grow this year. And so by doing that, I've actually been able to see a lot of growth. We've been, so far, we've been blessed to be able to work with three super popular and just really influential people here in in Utah that all have more than a million followers. And that's opened up a lot of doors with other influencers as well, because they see us working with them. And it, it just opens up those doors. And we never would have had that if I wouldn't have taken those risks of reaching out to those people. For sure, man. It opens up those doors and those windows, as we like to say, majestic. Man, well, that's awesome, dude. That's, you know, I've never heard of a window cleaning business using influencers. And I love that. And I love what you said about having the effort-based goals because it's the effort that counts. If we don't put in the effort, we'll never know. We might fail after we put in the effort, but that wasn't the point. The point was putting in the effort in the first place, right? And eventually with enough effort and enough, you know, hard work and preparation, sometimes we get lucky, right? And I love that, man. So we're going to go into our, our lightning round now, Kyle. I'm going to ask you a few quick questions. Let's start off with the first man. What is your biggest fear? For me, it's always been just a fear of not being liked by other people or a fear of not being validated. So I always have let myself, like what I was talking about before, potentially in the past, I would not do something because I was worried that if I wasn't successful, people were going to laugh at me or just not want to be around me anymore. And so that's been my biggest fear just with everything in in life and business and relationships, just so worried about what other people think and how they're going to react, which is what I've learned lately, especially in my journey the past few months is just, that's nothing I can control. And so I've been a lot better lately, but that still is a battle I face every day. Yeah. I think that's a tough one for a lot of us. Why do you feel like that fear has controlled your life so much up to this point? A lot of it goes back to my past growing up. So my parents are divorced too. And just during that time, I remember in high school when it was, when there was a lot of arguments and things going on at, at our house that I would feel like I had to, try and win their attention or do something to gain their attention because they were so worried about fighting or just like do it, dealing with life, which is hard. And I don't blame them for any of it. Like I love both of my parents. They're both super good influences in my life and I really respect them. But it was really hard because that's kind of how I think it, it started for me because I would seek validation from them, which in turn led me seeking validation from other people, other friends that maybe I shouldn't have been around, but that they were willing to accept me or other situations, other things that I shouldn't have been doing, or just so worried about how people were going to accept me that it 
it kind of gained momentum as time went on to the point where like last last year, the last couple of years, it, it just had been really bad for me. But luckily, like I said, I'm getting a lot better with it. I still have a long way to go, but that's been something that is, like I said, a day-to-day thing that I deal with. Yeah. How, how are you getting over that fear? It comes down to, like I said, efforts. And also, so I'm just reading a book right now. It's actually my favorite book of all time. And I can't wait to get this out to everyone. There's definitely language in it. So I just want to put that out there. But if you can get past that, literally this book changed everything for me. And I 100% recommend it. And it's called The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F. It's very just straightforward and right in your face about everything. But it's so good. And I'm actually reading it again right now. And... One thing that the author Mark Manson talks about is he says that we need to create values for ourselves that are things that we can control. So I was valuing myself. I put my own self-worth on other people's opinions. Yeah, That doesn't live for a life of happiness. Or for example, just like in the past, I would put my self-worth and my happiness, I would make it dependent on if I was making other people happy or not. And I can't control their feelings. Once I realized that how unhealthy that really is, I was able to make, start making changes to what I actually value in life. And it's really helped me. And that's awesome. Super happy that, you know, you're overcoming that fear and you're feeling the positive effects of, you know, going through the fear rather than just avoiding that. Kyle, next question for you, man. What is your definition of failure? I think for me, I would say that failure is allowing your fears to discourage you from acting or allowing your fears to paralyze you, basically. It all comes down to not acting. If you have something you want to do, but you don't take those first steps, that's a failure in my opinion. I don't care and I don't base any success in life on the outcomes or on the results. I base my success in life now and in business and with our salespeople and everything like that based on the efforts that we give. You know, I really love that definition. And for me, you know, I think it's really important to remember that failure is an event. It's not, it's not a definition. It's not who you are. Yeah, exactly. Like you are not a failure. You can have a failure, but you can rewrite that failure and learn from it. And so it honestly doesn't sign a failure anymore. It's just a learning experience. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the only definition of failure that I'll accept because in reality, if you're acting, nothing else is going to come close because there are only two outcomes in that situation and they're both positive. Number one, you either achieve what you wanted to achieve, you reach your goal, which is obviously positive. Or number two, like you said, you learn from your failure and it gets you one step closer to achieving your goal. So always a positive thing to take action. You can't lose when it comes to failure unless you fail to learn. All right, man. What is a personal habit of yours that has contributed to your success? So I have what I call the three, two, one rule. And it's something that I do every morning and every night. And it really keeps me on track mentally, as well as just emotionally and spiritually in a way as well. So like in the morning, I set three daily goals that I want to accomplish. And another man out there who I really respect and admire, his name is Ed Milet. And he introduced the idea of breaking down your day into smaller days. Hmm. So what he does... How do you, how do, you do that? Yeah. Yeah. So what he does, he says that from 6am till 12 is one day. Okay. And then from 12 until six is another day. And from six until bedtime is the third day. And so we, I don't know how many of you out there have heard of this, but Isaac and I have talked about this a lot. 
the idea of Parkinson's law. Yeah, dude, my law. Which means that we allow what we're doing to fill the amount of time that we give it. So basically, Ed just says, by shortening the days, we actually can get three times as much stuff done in that day as we would in a normal day, because now we're defining the time period that we have as a a lot smaller. So for me, I set one goal that I'm going to accomplish before noon, one goal that I'm going to accomplish before six, and one goal that I'll accomplish before bed. And then in the morning as well, I set two things that I want to learn, two skills that I want to improve on, and not... I want to learn how to build a website or anything super broad, but it has to be super specific. So like I want to learn how to implement a pixel on my website so that I can advertise more effectively on Facebook or something like that. Yeah. Then I focus on that throughout the day as well. And then the last one is the one that I find most important for me. And that's both morning and night, I fo- I find one person to focus on. So in the morning, I try and choose one person who I know is struggling or having, or could just use a friend or, or something like that. And I just choose one person who I want to serve during that day. I focus time on doing something small for them. I, it doesn't even matter what it is, but just letting them know that I care about them. And then at nighttime, it's still three to one. So I focus on, I think, and write down three things that I'm grateful for. I write down two ways that I got out of my comfort zone and overcame my fears that day. And then one person that I want to thank and just express gratitude to. And so I'll either call or text them or send them a video just saying how grateful I am for them. That's awesome, man. You know, I actually hadn't, I don't know if I've ever heard, you know, heard that from you, but, uh, you know, I'm going to start putting those into my own daily routine. I really like what you've shared with us. And Kyle, you know, I know that this is your show just as much as mine, but I appreciate you being on the show today, man. And, uh, you know, chatting with us about your failures and, and sharing those stories that are, you know, they're not easy to share. You know, it's really easy to to share the stories that are glamorous, the six figure stories The you know, I'm doing really great. And I've I'm traveling and this and that it's really easy to post those on Instagram and share those. But the truth is, you know, behind the scenes, everyone's got failures, and everyone is, you know, struggling in a way. And so thank you for sharing those moments with us today. Yeah, anytime. I look forward to being able to talk to you about yours. And then just going on this ride with you. I'm super excited to see where it takes us. Yeah. Keep your seatbelt on, man. (laughs) All right. So as we're going to be asking all of our guests of the show, you know, we're going to finish this by asking you where we can find you and where we can, you know, follow along with what you're doing. I'm on Instagram. It's at Kyle Bringhurst. And then like you mentioned at the beginning, I've got a website where I blog just thoughts of the day or just my book reviews each week and just other things like that, where I talk about business, life, how I can get better as a person and anything that really comes to mind. And that's at kylebringhurst.com as well. Thanks, Kyle. Well, it's been a pleasure, man. Um, Obviously, uh, I'll be talking to you soon. And, uh, you know, next time on the show, guys, Kyle will be interviewing me, talking about my failures, and uh, we look forward to it. All right, guys, go out there and keep failing and (laughs) live your dreams, baby. 